Welcome. Thank you for listening to Spiritual Living with author and teacher Francois Feinberg. May the message you're about to hear earnestly touch your heart and may it encourage you in your ongoing love of God the Father, your enjoyment of the Lord Jesus Christ, and your fellowship in both the Holy Spirit and the body of Christ. If we want to go deeper in God, then can I just be blunt? We need to discover the depths of God within us. It's one thing to say, I want to know God and I want to go deeper with God. That's a great way to put it. But what do we mean by that? Like actually, how do you know God deeper? How, how do you go deeper into God? Do you climb a ladder? Like how do I go? What is the New Testament's revelation of going deeper into God? Paul would say in Philippians, for instance, I want to know God. I want to know this Christ, Philippians chapter 3, verse 10. So we ask, well, what does it mean to know God? How do I go deeper into God? I want to submit to you, to go deeper into God is to discover God within you, because that is the New Testament revelation of walking with God. That's the economy of God in the New Testament. We do not climb ladders to heaven. We don't get raptured to go to heaven. That's a very, very rare occurrence. Most of you are wanting to somehow be beamed up and go visit heaven. And there are folk that have been beamed up and have gone to go visit other realms. We know such a man as the Apostle Paul, who at one time, whether in the flesh or not, he's not entirely sure how that happened to him, but he was beamed up. Let's say he was raptured. He was caught up into another realm. And he saw things and he heard things that God did not permit him to come and speak here on this earth. And we read that and we think, ah, oh, now that's what Christianity is. That's what walking with God is all about. And so most of us, we would, we would sing songs like, oh God, take me away. Uh, you know, beam me up, Scotty. <laughs> and of course, every other book in the Christian bookstore, uh, somebody has been snatched away and so they have these visions of heaven. So that's what we think is Christianity. In fact, can I be blunt? That comes from Plato and Plutarch. That thought is not Christian. It is Greco-Roman philosophical thought of dualism. Dualism is a Greek philosophical notion. It started to be you sort of invented a little bit there by Pythagoras before the time of Socrates. And then, of course, Plato and Aristotle took it to new levels and it became a, a synthesized and a systemized way of thinking. Dualism. What is dualism? Dualism basically says everything spiritual is supreme. Everything earthly is defiled, sinful, uh, useless. 
And so dualism, it's twofold. And they were right, by the way. Greek philosophy have elements of truth in it. But they began to create this idea that the highest way of living is to escape the natural and to be transcendent, you know, to the other realm. Now that is true living. And so the Greek philosophers would propose, I have to sort of check out of this realm. Don't worry about the things of this realm. Check into the other realm. And of course, that's from where we get the Gnostic cults that infiltrated Christianity. And you may learn a little bit about this more as you, as you journey with me. Be it as it may, we, we have this notion. What is Christianity? Well, it's not here in the now. It's not here on earth. It's not here living my life with God. What, what is Christianity? It's escapism. I got to escape to the other realm. And so we think to know God, oh, I got to go there to know God. That has happened. Um, folk have had that kind of an experience. But can I tell you just between you and me, the New Testament's revelation is that God has come down into this world. You and I want to escape with the rapture bus to that world. But we don't understand that Adam the way that first Adam lived is a prototype of what God wants from Homo sapiens. God wants Homo sapiens to live on this earth. He doesn't want us to float away. He doesn't need us in the other realm. He's got enough activity there and enough angelic beings that were created for that realm. God created you and I for this realm. We are mortal. We are humans. And so... Uh, God walked with that man. Here comes the second man, Jesus Christ. God came into my world, into this world, and, and He lived as a human being. And so Christ is a prototype. He models for us what it means to be spiritual. It is God coming into man. It is God incarnating into man. This is what it's all about. Now, there's more to the story. Don't get me wrong. There is more to the story. But for now, just follow with me. Well, how do I know God? How do I go deeper with God? It sounds so mystical. It sounds so esoteric. It's not that mystical. To know God is to understand the New Testament's teaching of Christ in you. God who wants to live also in you. Again, not everyone gets raptured all the time to the other realm and see things inexplicable. So where does that leave us? Does it leave us without the depths of God? Does it leave us just sort of getting by unless I have this wonderful rapturous experience? No. When Jesus Christ lived on this earth, He lived by a Father that fueled Him that was with him. He was in the Father, the Father was in him. And he never longed to go back all the time. He lived out his mission. And he was very content here. So for you to live the spiritual life, you should 
develop a new mindset of not escapism, but indwelling. That you are a kind of a house, you're a kind of a temple. You're a kind of a pot, a vessel in which God wants to dwell. And that is the secret to the spiritual life. It's not me sort of fluttering away, but God coming within and making me his house, his temple, his vehicle, his vessel. I want to start off by telling you a little bit about the Gospels as you have it in the New Testament, the Gospel of uh, Matthew and Mark and Luke and John. These Gospel accounts are fantastic narrative, historical, biographical accounts of Jesus the Christ, the man, our Lord, Jesus Christ. And when you read the Gospels, you learn so many beautiful things about this wonderful Christ and how He was born and how He was reared and how He was called of God and set apart and His baptism, how the Spirit came upon Him. And, and you learn about His disciples and His teachings and you saw the miracles and the signs and the wonders that He performed. And um, In a way, when you read the Gospels, you pick up a lot of teaching, um, a lot of principles, and you see this man's life mission, Christ, and how he dies, and how he is resurrected from the grave. And it's a wonderful narrative. And I hope all of you have read the Gospels a little bit. And I hope with your time here at Legacy, you might even pick a Gospel and listen to it or just read it. Mwah! Wonderful, wonderful, wonderful. But when you come to the letters of Paul, you see something a little deeper than what the Gospels portray. It's as though the Gospels portray the extremities in the narrative, the biological historical account of our Lord. But when Paul writes his letters to the churches, he mentions things that are not found within the Gospels. Neither Matthew, Mark, and Luke wrote about it. Now John began to really hint at it. But when you come to Paul, you see that Paul uses phrases and explanations that are so much deeper than what the Gospels portray. For instance, Look at the bubbles that I have for you here. There are a few things that I just want to mention that you will not find in the gospel narratives. For instance, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 17, if you'll turn there with me. Let me show you just a few to whetten your appetite. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 17. Paul is talking here about sleeping around. He's talking about fornication and prostitution. 
And right smack dab in the middle of this discussion of fornication and prostitution, he throws out one of those amazing statements that only the Apostle Paul can write. Look at it. Um, verse 16, for instance, he says, Do you not know that the person who is joined to a prostitute, the person who sleeps with a prostitute, let's say, don't you know that that person becomes one body with that, let's say, prostitute? For he says the two will become one flesh. Is everybody with me? The context is sleeping around. Is everybody with me? Okay. Then notice verse 17 out of the blue. He says, but he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with the Lord. And that's your bubble. Notice this sentence. You become one in spirit with the Lord. The actual Greek is you become one spirit. Beloved, you don't find that in, in Matthew. You do not find that in Mark. You don't find that in Luke. You begin to find some of this in John 14, 15, 16, and 17. But by and large, those things are not there. You come to Paul's explanation of the Christian life, Paul's experiential reality of God, and you'll see he says, somehow, I don't have to go up to God. God has come down to me, and we've become one in spirit. I live in Him, and He lives in me. So what does it mean to go deeper with God? Beloved, you've got to touch the one spirit with God if you want to go deeper. And you find these types of things in Paul's writings. Let me show you another one here. Go to Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1. Paul makes a statement here that you will not find in Matthew or Mark or Luke and neither in, in John. They tell an aspect of the Christian life. But when Paul tells his experience and aspects in his revelation of the Christian life, he, he speaks it on a much deeper level. Go to Colossians, for instance. Look at this statement. He says, in verse 27, God has willed to make known what are the riches of this glory, of this mystery among the Gentiles. It's a big context in which we will dig deeper uh, at a later time. But he says there, there's a mystery that has been made known. There's something hidden that has now been disclosed among the Gentiles. And then, then look at this statement. He says, which is, what is this mystery? It's this, Christ in you. Christ in you. The hope of Glory. Yeah, you can, you, you, can, you can speak with me when I sort of pause. I'm waiting for you to catch up. Christ in me, the hope of glory. That's your second bubble. Christ in me. You do not hear that sentence in, in, in the Gospels. So what does it mean to go deeper with God? Beloved, I don't want to be all mystical. But here Paul says, somehow Christ can be one with you in spirit. Somehow Christ can actually live within you. Beloved, we have a need for an indwelling Christ. 
We do not have a need to get raptured and go live up in some other realm. God wants you here, but He wants you indwelled. What a marvelous phrase, Christ in me, the hope of glory. And then He says, by the way, He says, you know, we've all fallen short of the glory of God. And you do know that every religion's pursuit is to recover glory. A Buddhist, he realizes something is wrong with him. And what is Buddhism? The pursuit to recover glory. Every human knows that there's a kind of a dignity, a kind of an honor, a kind of a glory that a man and a woman should have. And so all religions confess that. Something's wrong with us. And what is that wrong? It's the loss of glory. It's the loss of human dignity and honor. It's the loss of the image of Christ. Religions don't know that, but they all are in a pursuit to recover glory. What is Confucianism? It's just a, a pursuit to, to recover glory. Well, what is Islam? It's a pursuit to recover glory. What is New Age? It's a pursuit to recover self, which New Age says is glory. So every religion, in a way, is on the pursuit to be glorified, to recover glory, because, you know, all of sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So here comes Paul, and he says, oh, by the way, the only way that glory will be recovered in you, the only hope that you have to be brought to wholeness and dignity and glory and honor in the image of God, the only way is Christ in you. See, most of us think, oh, to be glorified, I've got to ascend and transcend and be smart and intellectual and I've got to be moral and I've got to be religious and I've got to do and I've got to don't and I've got to be squeaky clean and join this and uh, avoid this. And we all have systems and processes and formulas where we think this will recover glory. Listen to the statement. Christ in you is the only hope that you will have to be glorified, to be restored, to be recovered, to be whole, to be dignified, to become an honorable human being again. Glory to God! It takes the pressure off of you! Hello? Okay, well, all right. I'll drink my coffee, let that sink in. It takes the pressure off of me to perform but it does give me the responsibility to be open to an indwelling Lord who's going to do this work of glorifying me. So our hope then is in an indwelling man. We have a need to be one in spirit. We have a need to be infilled with Christ. Beloved, that is to know God. That is to go deeper. Look at the next bubble here. Galatians chapter 1, verse 16. In Galatians chapter 1, verse 16, Paul says an interesting thing that you don't find in the Gospels. In verse 15 of chapter 1, Paul says, When it pleased God to set me apart from my mother's womb, and called me through His grace. Look at verse 16. To reveal His Son in me. Notice that phrase, 
Christ being revealed into the man. Christ in me. Christ revealed. Where? Say it with me. Into me. In. This is a phrase that you, you don't find elsewhere. So Paul gives us hints and clues as to how to live this Christian life. On the one hand, he says, you are one spirit with him. In Colossians, he says, Christ is in you as, as a hope for glory. Here he says, God revealed this Christ into Paul. Inside the man, he got a vision of who Christ was. Beloved, that's what it means to go deep with God. It is God who's wanting to come and do a work in you. Not you climbing some ladder up to God, but God wanting to live and move in you. And He wants to reveal Himself. Most of you want God to reveal your husband. Most of you want God to reveal your future, your college, your career. Where will I live? And the Antichrist, to please God. Who is the Antichrist? Could you please reveal to me how this world's going to wrap up? And where should I put my money? And we want revelation on everything. Paul said, God revealed His Son. That's the greatest revelation you need, is an indwelling spirit, an indwelling Christ, an indwelling revelation. No wonder we stay in the shallows because we want revelation on everything but an indwelling Christ. Amen? Oh, glory. Notice this one, Galatians 2 verse 20. You may know this sentence really well. After all, it is a cornerstone verse in our walk with God. But notice this phrase that you just do not find elsewhere. You find it so amazingly in the letters of Paul. And what I want to say here to you guys is mean business with the letters of Paul, especially because they help you in the outliving of the spiritual life. Let me give you an example. In Matthew, Jesus says, turn the other cheek. Forgive. So what Christians do is they then imitate Jesus. What would Jesus do? So yeah, that's called copycat Christianity. Monkey see, monkey do. Okay, like a chameleon. We're just going to morph and change to look like Christ. So we wear a bracelet. What would Jesus do? So he, he turned the other cheek. He forgave 70 times 7. Okay, so I'm going to try to do this. Try when was the last time you actually were able to forgive anybody? Able to actually turn the other cheek? I've never met a person who can actually do that. But we copy Matthew. Okay, we've got to do what Matthew says. Paul comes and explains how you will turn the other cheek. Do you know that there's only been one person that's ever actually turned the other cheek? There's only one person that can forgive 70 times 7. So the average Christian thinks, I've got to copy Matthew. I've got to copy Matthew. And when we fail, we're like, oh, I'm so doomed. I'm the worst Christian ever. Why would God love me? Because we have a copycat, an imitation spirituality. I have to imitate. Paul comes and explains exactly how you will turn the other cheek. is by Christ in you. He's the only one that can forgive, that can extend grace, that can show mercy. Hello? 
you and I, that we were not forgivers. That's why you're still struggling with your parents and your brother and your sister and your professor and yourself. You can't forgive yourself. There's no way you can heal yourself, otherwise you would have. This is not going to happen. But here we are, Christians, and we're on this treadmill of copying, this treadmill of imitation. Oh, if I could just do what Jesus did, then I live the spiritual life. It's just not going to work. Here comes Paul. By the one spirit within you, you'll, you'll be able to do that, yeah? By Christ in you, you'll be recovered to glory, yes. By Christ living inside of you, revealing who he is, yes. Beloved, this is what it means to go deeper with God. Galatians 2 verse 20, you know this. I am crucified with Christ. And it is no longer I who live, but listen, it is Christ who lives in me. So here he is. He lives in me. Beloved, this is what it means to go deeper. It is something that has to happen within us. And this is why we are in the shallows often as sons and daughters of God. It's because we're afraid of this inner thing right here we call our heart and our spirit. We're ignorant of it. We're unaware. We're disillusioned and confused. We're not sure how this thing works. And so we copy and we copy. Beloved, we have a need not for imitation Christianity, imitation spirituality. Listen. We have a need for indwelling spirituality. That's the title of our time together, an indwelling Christ. That phrase, Christ lives in me, you're not going to find it but in the letters of Paul, who tells us how to practically live out the spiritual life. One spirit in me, revealed in me. Christ, hello? living in me. Most of you want Christ to visit you. Christ wants to live in you, one spirit with you. And we're all just like, oh God, please visit me. Oh God, please pour out more. Oh God, please come, come, come. Why do we even have to sing songs like that, come? He's already come. Am I? See, as long as you have this dualism perspective, God's up there, I perform. And if I just do it right, he comes. And if I sing nicely, come, then, then he's going to come. And so we're all waiting, and the coming, it never quite comes. Things never quite shake with the way we think, or he comes the way we think he should be coming. And so that's why our heart grows so disillusioned, because I'm praying, I'm fasting. Lord, I'm, I'm imitating, and you're not coming. And he's like, dude, I live inside of you. I'm already come. You should just say, welcome. <laughs> Amen. Okay. Go to Galatians chapter 4. I'll show you another verse. Just a few to whet in your appetite as to the spirituality that we're after. It's a Christ in me spirituality, not a me copying spirituality. Look at this interesting verse here. Galatians 4. And again, I'm just using a few random examples to show you how the Apostle Paul lived it, experienced it, and explained it. In verse 19, he says, My children, with whom I labor and travail, 
again in birth until Christ is formed within you. Until Christ is formed within you. How does your Bible say that phrase? Somebody from Galatians 4 verse 19. Yes, ma'am. Um, until the anointed one will be fully formed in your heart. Until the anointed one, that means Christ, Christos. Until the anointed one is formed within you. Somebody else. My children, Does anybody's Bible have a different word for formed? Okay. Paul uses pregnancy terms here. Um, uh, so, ladies, you may understand this a little better than us doofuses called men. And in time, ladies, Lord willing, you will bear your own children. Um, the gestation period, nine months, give or take, um, is a period where a human being is what? <laughs> Formed within you. There's an actual, real human a living entity where? Within you, ladies. You teach us doofus men what the spiritual life is about. God created you as a woman, as a little bit of a prophetic type for us goobers to, to pay attention to. From within a woman, from within her, comes the manifestation of another being. It just even sounds a little crazy talking about this. But a woman receives um, the seed from the man. She conceives, we say. Uh, we say she becomes pregnant. And notice where she becomes pregnant. In her womb, which is a word used in John's gospel as bosom. Christ comes out of the bosom of God. And you get this picture. He comes out of the depths of God. And he says also in John 14, I'm going to prepare a place for you in my God so that where I am, you may be also. You get this idea, a little mystical, that Christ comes out of the womb of God and manifests it as the Son of God. And you also get the idea that we as humans are supposed to come back into the womb of God. That's, a, that's our real home is to be in God. But then as you read Paul, you get the idea that I become the womb of God. God lives in me. His spirit comes into me like seed comes into a woman. God comes into me. And in Peter, that word that Peter says that we are born of the incorruptible seed of God, that's the Greek word sperm, sperma. And he says the word of God is like a sperm that impregnates the woman. I didn't mean to have biology class right now. But I do believe we're adults and you can understand the prophetic symbolism. Peter says that the word of God came into me and made me alive. And that word, he says, is the seed of God. Incorruptible sperma. So God comes into me as the living word. And I become a kind of a womb. For what? For Christ. To live in me. Christ, I have a hope in me that I will manifest something of Christ. And here he says, in, in a little bit of a pregnancy term, Christ can be actually formed inside of a person. 
the way a woman forms a human being, God can come into me. Beloved, what does it mean to go deeper with God? It's not to climb a ladder to the heavens. It is to be humble and open and receptive for God to come into me, to live in me, to be one spirit with me, to put his word, sperm, in me. This is the stuff Paul is explaining. Christ formed in me. Why? Christ is formed in you so that you can give birth to the living Christ, the image of God on earth. This is spirituality. This is Christian living. Christ with me. Christ in me. Christ living in me. Christ growing and forming within me. Amen? Point number one, the gospel gives us marvelous accounts of Christ and the biographies and the image of Christ. It tells us about his life and his living and the narrative of his coming and going and his accomplishments. And so we get this outward vision of all that he did and all that he accomplished. Even in John's gospel, he says that if I were to write down everything he did and everything he said, the libraries of this world would not be able to contain all that he spoke and did. And so we know that, that the life of our Lord was an amazing life. But you would make a tremendous error to be a copycat of that life. He's not asking you really to imitate him. To try to perform and be like him. That's not really the gospel. That's not really what the New Testament is about. He is the super role model, and I just slug it out to be like him. What would Jesus do? That is a shallower version. Paul gives us a deeper version. In the Pauline epistles, we have a profound revelation of the accomplishments of Christ. And Paul stresses an indwelling Lord. He stresses an indwelling Christ into his believers. The first bubble there, for instance, we are one with him in spirit. The second bubble there, we are indwelt by Christ as my hope for glory. In Galatians, Christ is revealed into me. I can have an inward vision of Christ. I can know Him and understand Him and love Him and appreciate Him. In Galatians 2, he says, No longer I, but Christ who lives, where? In me. In Galatians 4, Christ can be formed. Beloved, these phrases are all over Paul's epistles. That's why at the school, we will try to spend a lot of times in those epistles. Because the only way that you will walk the straight and the narrow and let your little light shine, and the only way that you will learn to pray, let's say all of the Beatitudes of Matthew, and be merciful and suffer and 
all of the injunctions that Matthew or Mark or Luke might even give you, there's no way you will ever be able to do any one of those things. Because if you were able to do that, you would not need a Messiah. And if you're like a Pharisee that's perfectly whole, you've got this thing figured out, you're not really that sick, you're a-okay, all is great for you and it's working out for you, then off you go. You really do not need a Messiah. The Messiah, the doctor, is only for those of us who have cancer, for those of us who are sin sick, who say, I, I can't forgive. I cannot help but hate you or be prejudiced or be afraid. And this is the first thing that you have to learn as a human. If you really want to walk with God, be raw and honest as a human. Y'all, I'm a sinner. I stinketh. I do not have it together. If you could be blunt and frank and honest about your humanity, then you're, you're at the doorstep of the Messiah. You're, you're, you're a prime candidate than for the real indwelling of God, because the sick people are the ones who get the doctor. The writings of Paul are so rich, and they just give us little hints. Point number three on the backside. Notice these phrases, for instance. Again, I'm just wetting your appetite a little bit. He speaks in Ephesians how believers can be united from every race. Um, in Ephesians 3, he speaks about how we can be filled with the fullness of God. Uh, actually, turn to Ephesians 3.19. You just need to see this. Paul prays here, and then he makes this outlandish statement. In Ephesians chapter 3, if we uh, pick it up there in maybe verses 18, he says, I pray, you know, that you would be full of strength, that you would comprehend and apprehend with all of the saints what's the breadth and the length and the height and the depth and to know the surpassing knowledge of the love of Christ. It's a marvelous prayer. And you want to pray for yourself? Pray this prayer over yourself sometimes. Oh, that you would just know God. And then notice this phrase in verse 19, towards the latter end of verse 19. He says, I pray that you may be filled with the fullness of God. Most of us want to be raptured to go to a beautiful golf course called heaven and a beautiful mansion with no weeds and servants everywhere. And I want to be the epicenter of, of, of that realm, that kingdom. And it's such earthly, shallow, carnal thinking. Paul prays that we would be filled here with the fullness of God. We've come to understand Christ is the fullness of God. Colossians chapter 1. So to be filled with the fullness of God is to actually just be filled with an indwelling Christ. What a statement! That I, a little temple, a little house, a little vehicle, can be filled to the fullness. Think of a cup that can be poured into to the fullness. That you would know the depth and the height and the, the width and the breadth of, of God's love. And that the fullness of God, it, it blows my mind. When was the last time you met a person who was filled with the fullness of God? 
Because we're all constantly saying, fill me up, Lord. Well, Lord, what do you want to be filled with? Why are you singing these songs? Because you have a false notion of what filling is. The filling is Christ. And you'll see the pre, uh, previous uh, bullet there, the joining of the Jews and Gentiles was because of Christ. And you'll see God's economy is Christ that does everything. And these phrases, these ideas, these concepts, you get it from Paul's writings. They're marvelous. Have we ever paid attention to them? The bullet there, he says, in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18, apparently we can be transformed and conformed to the image of Christ. What an amazing thing that's not spoken, let's say, in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, but Paul says we can actually look like Christ. We can actually be the image of Christ. He says in uh, Corinthians chapter 12 that we can be actually the body parts of Christ. We are so one with Him that I am an extension of His person. I am actually an extension of the living Lord Jesus Christ. That's how organically one I am with Him. I live in Him. He lives in me that I'm actually a member of His body, His person. And when he refers there to the body, he refers to the man, Jesus. I am engrafted into him. He's engrafted into me. And like the vine and the branch, I'm an extension. I'm an actual extension of the Lord of heaven and earth. I find that marvelous. In Colossians 3, for instance, he talks about how you and I are a new creation and how we are to put on Christ. How Christ can live in my heart and dwell within me. And how I am the image of the new creation of Christ on this earth. Amazing thoughts. In Colossians 3, he speaks about how I am seated with him in the heavenlies. Now it gets a little crazy. Somehow he lives in me, but I'm seated in him. Hello. The imagery of Paul is that of engrafting. In John 15, we already have this example. The vine engrafted into, uh, the branch engrafted into the vine. And through Paul's letters, you constantly get the symbiotic engrafting. I live in him. He lives in me. Beloved, welcome to the secret of the Christian life. I think we even asked y'all in the application, what is the secret to the Christian life? And the answers are very revealing. None of us said, actually, Christ is the secret. God Himself is the secret, the Spirit of God. And me grafted into Him, Him baptized into me. None of y'all spoke about a symbiotic union with God. Why? It's just not a concept in our modern-day Christianity at all. But here He talks about me living in Him, seated in the heavens, talks about Christ living in me. Well, where am I? Am I up there or am I down here? Beloved, you'll learn in a little bit. You're in both realms at the same time. I want you to turn to Colossians chapter 3 as we're beginning to wrap up. I want to show you one more interesting thing here that Paul sort of just writes out. 
and you're like, Paul, I wish you could have explained a little bit more. What is going on here? But uh, turn to Colossians 3 and look how beautiful these verses are, starting in verse 1. He says, Therefore, if you were raised together with Christ, see that symbiotic union together with Christ. When Christ died, you died. When He rose, you rose. Paul's understanding of the spiritual life is a togetherness. It's a oneness. So he says, You were raised together with Christ and seek the things which are above where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. He says, set your mind on the things above, not the things that are below or on this earth. In verse 3, he says, you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Notice the symbiotic union. I'm in him, he's in me. But then notice verse 4. He says, when Christ, our life, is manifested, then I will also be manifested with Him in glory. Notice he, he talks about Christ not as a person besides Him, like we often do. He talks about Christ who is His life. He talks about Christ so personally so intimately, it's not like me and Christ. A minute ago, he talked about it, you know, up there. But he talks about, I'm together with him. I'm crucified with him. And he's actually my life. He's not somebody I copy. He's the way that I live. And Paul would later say, in him, I live and move. And my whole being is in him. God's being is in What I'm trying to say is we have a need for an indwelling Christ. We have a need for an indwelling spirituality. In um, Romans, he talks about how I'm crucified with him. It, it's endless. I don't have time to write all that out for you or space. You've got it in the New Testament. All I'm trying to say is stop being a copycat Christian and accept the fact that God's New Testament economy is an indwelling spirituality, not an imitation spirituality. Can you all follow with me? Religion versus Christ. You know, the Jews pursued a religion, and then God incarnated Himself into a person and walked and lived among His people, and His own did not receive Him. Religion does not receive this incarnated person. It just, it just doesn't. So if you've been living in the shallows of just sort of copycat Christianity, try to be better Christianity, then you're no different than Judaism in Jesus' day. There's a couple of things in Judaism that I just want to point out in our modern-day religionism. But I want to start with Ian Thomas. 
Major Ian W. Thomas, he says, I know of nothing quite so boring as Christianity without Christ. Hello. That's an awesome sentence. Have you ever experienced Christianity without Christ, how boring it can be? I mean, what a schlep. He says, I know of nothing as boring as a Christian life without an indwelling Christ. He says, Christianity is Christ. It involves a principle of life which pulsates within, with divine energy and cannot be explained apart from God Himself. <coughs> Beloved, this is the core message of legacy. It's not for you to try to be a better Christian, but for you to be open to an indwelling Lord. Because if you're trying to live Christianity, I wish you all the best. But if Christ can live in you, welcome to the New Testament. That's the way it is in the New Testament. Not you copying, but He incarnating into you. That is spirituality. Number one, religiosity is not God's intention with the indwelling Christ. See, religion imitates. Christ incarnates. Religion values complexity. Christ values simplicity. And I have a few Bible verses to just prove what I'm trying to tell you there. Christ is simple, and He wants to live in your person. And you just have to, as we say at Legacy, learn to host the ghost. Okay? Religion focuses on good versus evil. Do better, avoid evil. Try harder. Ugh. Christ focuses on life. That's what He says in Colossians. Christ is my life. I live by a principle called life, not a principle of good versus evil, right versus wrong. I have seen more Christians confused and disillusioned because they don't know what is the right versus the wrong thing to do. God did not mean for you to live in this dynamic, in this tension of good versus evil. He said, if you eat that tree, you will die. God means for you to live life. Have life. Eat life. And that life is His Son in you to be your life. He's not an addition. He is symbiotic, infused, engrafted to be your life. That's the spirituality we will teach here. And hopefully, you'll be open to such an indwelling Christ. Religion promotes formulas. I have a friend who's been very honest with me, who goes to a certain place every Sunday and he gets a new list of do's and don'ts. Step one, step two, principle A, principle B. And he says, I'm still trying to practice a month ago's principles when there's like a set of new ones. And they're all so good. And he's like, hey, that's why I'm burned out. The principles are good. The steps are good. The formulas are they're great. And he tries to do every little principle because we are basically industrial people of the West here. A plus B equals C. Step A plus step B has to conclude 
Step C. And so as Christians, we do these principles and these formulas, and then we never get the step C or the, the, the product C or the result C, D, E. And then there's the new principles. Try this, try. No wonder so many of the Lord's people are just burned out when there could be an indwelling Lord who does it. And I'm just a vehicle that carries him around. Are you one of those that's just constantly trying industrially to A plus B equals C? I've got to do this. I've got to do this. It just doesn't work. Otherwise, it would have. So religion thrives on formulas. Christ just recommends himself. And I love Ian Thomas's saying, Christianity becomes boring when you take the life element out of it. And that life element is not a good, a, a bad, a rule. A for, that life element is a resurrected, eternal life living person. Our Lord Jesus Christ. Religion institutionalizes. Christ transforms. Religion perfects humanity. Christ dispenses divinity. Religion focuses exclusively on your outer shell, conformity, performance, positive thinking. Religion wants you to look a certain way, act a certain Christ wants to live in you. It just transforms you. And he does not fixate on your humanity. He fixates on his own nature his own divinity inside of a man. Religion compartmentalizes. I, I meet God on Sunday. I meet God early in the morning. I get, meet God in youth group on Wednesday. That's a compartmentalized spirituality. Beloved, let me be frank. Jesus didn't die for you so you could have meetings on a Sunday. He didn't die for you so you could hang out with teenagers on a Wednesday. Jesus didn't die for a compartmentalized here a little, there a little. He didn't die for such a thing. That's what, that's what the Jews in Judaism were all about. And that's what all sorts of religious shenanigans are all about. Christ died so that you could live a kind of a life. Whether it's Sunday or Monday, here, there, in the car, with a bunch of people in a stained glass window, or shall I say a theater. It, Christ died so you could just live yeah. a lifestyle and not pockets of spirituality. Yes. Christ in you is not a visitation, a compartmentalization. That kind of a spirituality is not what the New Testament is about. Also... Religion is filled with activity. Christ fills with the Godhead. Religion is much ado about nothing. Busy, busy, busy. That is spirituality. Christ wants to fill you with Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And you live in that symbiotic indwelling union. That is what God's about. And from that comes all the activity. Most of us who do activities for God as a performance, as a checklist, we end up in just works-based spirituality. 
It, it counts for nothing. It's much ado about nothing. Thank you, Shakespeare. But when God in you is the energy, the infusion, the power, the purpose, the vision, the endurance, the long-suffering, the fruit, God in you, whoo! Now you're active and there's actual fruit to the activity. Religion makes you an expert at neglecting Christ. Religion is simply man's endeavor to accomplish something for God. Religion is based on culture, superstition, ignorance, haughtiness, tradition, a written law code, locations, divisions, hierarchy, philosophy, fill in the blank. What is Christianity? What is spirituality? It is just God in Christ, in spirit, baptized into you, grafted into you, mingled with you, infused into you to be one spirit with an indwelling Christ, with divinity within, with, with filling within, with, with a man living inside of you, kicking, moving, a being is formed. Welcome to a spirituality that is not readily expounded, taught, lived, but that's where we're going. Christ in me, the hope of glory. So you want to change. You want to be different. You want to be used. You have a hope within you. Paul says, the only hope for me to, to have glory, to shine something for God, speak something for God, live something that is godly, the only hope I have is Christ in me. Everybody say it with me. Christ in me, the hope of glory. Christ in me, the hope of glory.